The Free For All Roundtable. Round one. On the roundtable, let's have at it. Baz Bednar is here, executive director of the Master of Public Policy degree in Digital Society at McMaster University. Tim Hudak, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. And Toronto City Councillor Shelley Carroll is here. Shelley, a quiet day at City Hall yesterday, as you and I observed in person. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you came to watch us uh, uh, start our work on the budget yesterday morning, and then we didn't actually start until about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It was a bit disruptive. Okay, well, um, we'll get into the disruptions a little bit later, because I'm curious, you know, the police and the protesters were all on a first-name basis, so I presume that that's not out of the routine for City Hall. But I want to get to the fact that uh, around 11 o'clock, I think, last night, John Tory followed through and handed in his walking papers. And Vazbednar, a lot of people are heavily invested in John Tory. Um, Other people, not so much. So they're even wondering, what's the big deal? Okay, so Tory messed up, now he's gone. Oh, what's the big deal? I mean, look, Tory's going to still be, I think, a pretty strong presence in the city of Toronto. We also know the genre of people formerly in power, like the federal clerk or former commissioners who have a very strong voice that they seek to flex to influence policy in different ways once they're out of office. So though he may no longer be the mayor, I still expect John Tory to remain a very influential political actor or animal in our in our city. Uh, well, Tim Hudak, you left under on your own terms. Uh, um, but you also found, uh, you know, a new voice on the radio and a new, you know, highfalutin job. So things worked out for you, folks. Politics, <laughs> maybe medium falutin, but I'll take any kind of falutin. Well, I, I'd like to be the first to announce how, how excited I am that John Tory will be rejoining News Talk 1010 and heading up the rush in a little time. I'd love to see his voice back on the air. Look, this is uh, it's just so sad. I mean, I, I picture, um, you know, the the beginning of the Bionic Man where they're building. Steve Austin, bigger, stronger, faster. John Tory was wired to be mayor of Toronto. Great at getting consensus, success with Ford and Trudeau, holding that council together, advancing a budget, investment priorities like housing and and safety and security and, and police. And I, I am saddened to see all this happen because uh, he was a right man to, to lead our city forward. He did a great job as mayor. And now we'll see. Unless Shelley makes an announcement today, we'll see how the circus begins. Yeah, okay, but you're you're firm on this, right, Shelley? You're not going to run. Yes, I will announce here this morning. I'm not going to be running. Okay. Well, you've announced on News Talk 1010. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just I, I, Well, I yeah. seem to have to keep saying it. I know. Um, how is the chemistry going to be different today at Toronto City Hall, and especially at 5 p.m. tomorrow when John Tory walks out those front doors? Well, you know, I know this is all happening because he made a very serious error in judgment, but what he's trying to do now is exercise the best judgment. And so um, in, in acting swiftly, it, it has been from the, the moment he started this conversation with the city about keeping the city stable. And so, you know, he handed in his letter of resignation, but he's sitting in that office until five o'clock, making sure that Deputy Mayor uh, Jennifer McKelvey is as ready as possible uh, to work with the city manager to keep the city stable, to to get on with the business of implementing the budget we adopted. And and so for for the day's business, um, uh, we should be as, as stable as you uh, you need us to be. And you really need us to be a, f- a high-functioning, strong uh, council and, and city public service right now. And Vance Bednar, just to return to your predictions that this is not the end of John Tory, I mean, do you have anything in mind? Are we talking about a university chancellor or maybe going back to the United Way? 
Is Vanessa still there? Uh, my internet was cutting out, and oh. so I only caught the end oh. of your question. I'm totally here. What kind of new? What kind of new gig will he get? Well, look, he's a he can take his time, and also figure that out. He's a member of of Toronto's elite, and the only thing I wanted to add earlier when you were chatting, Shelley, about the mood or like the moxie shifting and changing is thinking about uh, his staff and his office and how they may be absorbed elsewhere or if they're all leaving too, because those are very important, uh, albeit often faceless individuals that, you know, shape the agenda, shape the whipping of votes and help manage council relationships. So just because John Tory is leaving, again, doesn't mean uh, his his spirit or, or approach to decision making will be totally erased. Well, and right. that was raised on the morning brief this morning, Tim Hudak, the fact that a leader is surrounded by staff, often very young people, <laughs> and they kind of have to lay a bet on the figure they decide to go to work for. That, that and, and in this case, the bet is not going to work out. Yeah, this is tough. Um, let, me, let me put it through the, the leader's eyes. When I uh, stepped down uh, as leader of the Ontario PC Party in, in 2014, you had loyal staff that were there for you. And, and it is hard, though, because they got to pay the bills. And sometimes you can take that personally. You're with me. Now you're with somebody else. These are young people. The job does not pay that well, particularly for all the hours that they put into it. And, and they need to put bread on the table. So what will typically happen is they will look for another candidate who they believe in, who they may have admired, maybe thought down the road next time around they would get behind or look for jobs outside of politics. But it is the necessity of life to make sure you actually do get a paycheck. And when you're in politics, you're driven by it. So it's a natural evolution. Shelley, let me come back to you for a second, because we were talking off the top about how raucous things were. They had to press the pause button and eject everybody from council three times. Uh, here's yeah. the second time. And this is when I don't think the people who were booing John Tory, I think they thought he was introducing the budget. He was actually there to honor somebody on their retirement day. Yeah, yeah. And most of the people there were there to protest aspects of the budget. Um, you know, we, there, there's a tremendous difficulty uh, with homelessness in the city right now. And so most people were there to, to protest about that. Um, they, I guess, didn't read the agenda and realized that it would have been a long time before we would got we would get to that so unfortunately um some of those advocates and activists weren't in the chamber later when we did the thing that they've been asking us to do since last week which was to provide the funds we were able to do so because we were in in budget session to 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 actually add a 24-hour warming center from now until the end of the winter april 15th and uh, and that's unfortunate it was just sort of an ill-timed protest and and we we don't mind uh, that type of protest it's it's why we make the city's public square nathan phillips square available for that we don't mind we we want them to come and make a statement there every council session begins with with the ability of councillors to stop the proceedings to enter petitions into the public record there are all sorts of ways to protest but what happened was the disruption of us honoring a, a great public servant and then no one being around because they they would not quiet down. So we had to eject them and rely on you, the media, to actually be the eyes on government. And that's that's unfortunate. Well, in Vaz Bednar, there were some people who were rejected, blocked from coming back into the room who insisted it's their democratic right to be to be able to assist at city council. Uh, perhaps it should be. But if you're going to heckle such that the proceedings can't continue, then something's got to give. 
I agree with that. I think people did an effective job expressing their their sentiment and and their opposition, but the meeting had to go forward so that we could have a little bit of debate and pass that budget. Um, a GTA judge has sided with an anti-vaxxer father who doesn't want his kids to be vaccinated. It's one of those uh, usual disputes that happens when a marriage falls apart and the husband and wife fight over the kids, and in this case, vaccinating the kids. But Tim Hudak, in this case, it seems fairly provable that the judge accepted into evidence things that are simply not true and began taking sort of an anti-vax approach to the whole thing, which is a little disturbing. Well, well, absolutely. But, you know, reinforces what I've said many times uh, on your, or your panels. Judges make mistakes. Judges will do goofy decisions. They're not, you know, Moses coming down the mountain with the tablets. And that's why I have things to overrule. I, I'm, I'm changing topics here a little bit, but just reinforces why things like the notwithstanding clause are actually important because judges sometimes get their own agendas out there and they mess things up. Yeah, although Shelley Carroll, it's not uncommon for lower court judges to be overturned on appeal. But in this case, if you are going yeah. to accept things that have been proven to be false, uh, then it really makes you wonder about the judge and whether or not he should be on the bench. Yeah, I, you know, I'm questioning that. He actually said in his decision that that the public health uh, uh, medical system and and the pharmacy companies themselves have not provided sufficient proof that their vaccines are safe, and and of course that's why we're taking them because all of that proof had already been provided. So it's it's kind of insane that that you know a, a man on the bench was allowed to enter that into the record, and so I hope that whatever professional college is seriously looking at this particular judge because they. They are supposed to be at a level where they look at exactly those type of neutralizing things, that, that they're beyond the Internet aware that there is research, that there are levels of proof. That That's what you look to a judge for, to know those things. Vance Bednar, one of the things that bothers me these days in some public debates is the notion that falsehoods are just the other side of the story and we have to be more open-minded. Right, the both sidesism. I mean, what stood out for me with this this court aspect is, you know, why are we using this court or this case to relitigate uh, a massive public health public policy decision? And to Shelley's point about other levels of the court, I mean, the Court of Appeals decision, um, another Superior Court justice has also refused to take judicial notice that the vaccines are safe and effective. Um, we don't really. It is not ideal to have a patchwork of decisions coming forward that then people can point to for blurry and kind of messy precedent. But I'm with you on the, uh, you know, do we turn, do, do we turn what should be authoritative decisions into that kind of both sidesism or we need to, you know, we need to at least hear from the other side uh, in order to let people form their own decisions. We don't need to make our own decisions about uh, every every aspect of life. That's why we defer to export experts and evidence yeah. in many instances. Although that's what divorced couples do most of the time. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Tim Hudak, not a lot of time on the clock, but uh, Canadian cannabis companies were in Ottawa yesterday and they say they need help from the feds because it hasn't worked out for them. Yeah, well, that's what happens when you get into a business that nobody can predict.
Yeah, Gold Rush for sure. It had Gold Rush written all over it. I will add that only the government could screw things up where you couldn't make money on the cannabis trade, John Moore. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I, look, I think we've got too much regulation here, probably too much on the taxes side. But you've got to have some way for these businesses to consolidate. They're not going to get the economies of scale. I mean, there's a different one in every corner in the friggin' city. You know, allow some market things to actually happen and some major brands will emerge and have better business practices. And Vaz, this is more than retail outlets that aren't making a living. It's- it's the, the actual producers and the wholesalers who insist that they can't make a living. Yeah, and I mean, look, it's nice that they're calling for reduced barriers to entry, but I wonder if cannabis is starting to get to kind of a failing firm situation because producers were already highly concentrated, and that gets obscured because it looks like there's more competition out in the field in the final product than there actually is, right? A lot of the products on the shelves are just private labels. They're not actually uh, from distinct producers. Thank you all. Good to have you this morning. Shelley Carroll, Tim Hudak, and Vas Bednar. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.